0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast as always is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware plus more. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And of course, by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application learning product on the market. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. To start the episode this week, I want to follow up on a story from last week about the launch of applications failing on Windows 10 after patching. And as reported last week, some suggested a vast antivirus may have been the cause. Well, according to a BleepingComputer.com article this week, this was not caused by a Windows Update-created conflict, but rather tied to an Avast antivirus update and interestingly also an AVG antivirus update. When I reported last week, one of the factors that made an Avast issue specifically not too likely, at least at the time, was that some of those without Avast were reporting the same issue. So now it makes a little more sense because it might have been people who had Avast or AVG. Regardless of that, if you are affected and your applications are not launching, you can get a new fixed version of Avast or AVG right now, And if for some reason the fix doesn't work once you install it, there is a manual fix that will be shared with this episode of the podcast, which is episode 129 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And following up from a story from two weeks ago, there has been a change of direction by Zoom in regards to their end-to-end encryption. So previously they had stated and I had reported that the free version users would not have communications encrypted. Well, it appears now, free version users will indeed be able to have their communications encrypted in future, but in order to get the encryption features, they will need to share their phone number and some identifying information to verify their identity. A beta of this new end-to-end encryption for free users is expected to roll out next month, according to SiliconRepublic.com and flash now has an official date for when it will no longer be offered anymore december 31st 2020 while it's been a pain in the neck for it admins for many years it once did play a very important role it is the end of an era but one many of us will be glad to see the back of from a security perspective i'm sure it won't go away overnight though as many organizations still have some legacy apps to rely on it It's best to start identifying what apps those are in your environment and contact the vendors to ask what their roadmap is to move away from it. If you're on an older version, they may already have one that does not require Flash and that could be a relatively quick win for you. Microsoft have disclosed that they will be changing the Windows 10 versioning going forward, which should actually be a lot less confusing in my opinion. So instead of versions like 1909, 1903, or 2003, or as some people might read it, 2003, which is part of the confusion, um, versioning will now be in the format of 20H2, for example, with the year at the beginning, 20, and H2 representing the second half of the year. So presumably in the future, we will also get 21H1. 21H2, 22H1, 22H2, and so on. I think it's a good move, it's not as confusing, and that old versioning, like I said, like versioning 2003, was a bit jarring. Hopefully other vendors who follow the old form of versioning will also change to this type of format. Liquidware have released Profile Unity version 6.8.3 and FlexApp version 6.8.3 R2. And with this update with FlexApp, there's seamless FlexApp compatibility with FSLogix, which is a pretty big deal considering Microsoft now owns FSLogix, and it's pretty widely used or going to be. There's enhanced Windows 10 multi-session OS support for Windows Virtual Desktop. Uh, There's been some FlexApp speed improvements on launch from the cloud. There's some security hardening on the client. And for R2, there's VHDX support for FlexApp and profile disk, bug fixes, FlexApp file extensions and more. There's updated FlexApp filter driver for speed and compatibility. There's hourly billing for AWS and FlexApp and base image runtime installer tool for C++ runtimes and .NET framework. So if you're a FlexApp And profile unity customer you can go out and upgrade today and an obvious big win in this even if you don't avail of stuff like the support for FS logics you're going to get faster app attach speeds and increased compatibility so that's a really big win. Citrix virtual apps and desktops version 2006 has been released as well as version 715 cu5 for those on LTSR. CU5 as with other cumulative updates for LTSR versions contains many fixes but in comparison with earlier LTSR version 7.6 it seems like there are fewer fixes so hopefully that's a good sign of the stability of the product and that's noticed as well with LTSR version 19.12 as we get up in versions it seems like there's less fixes required so that's good. With 2006, as someone in the community pointed out this week, who I won't name just in case he doesn't want me to, it seems more has been deprecated in this release or removed from the product than added, which is a little bit strange. Some of the things deprecated or removed include personal V disks, app disks, and and host type connections for Azure Classic, ARM, AWS, and Cloud Platform, which I talked a little bit about on a previous episode of the podcast about the way they were changing what they were going to support for use in the cloud. They're basically restricting you to using their preferred Citrix cloud or staying on the LTSR version in order to use other cloud platforms. The enhanced desktop experience feature for Windows Server 2012 R2 has also been removed a studio policy has been included to replace registry configurations that enable or disable dynamic keyboard layout synchronization ime Unicode keyboard layout mapping and hide or show the keyboard layout switch notification dialogue message so a minor change i guess when you lock a seamless session Its logon screen is now no longer full screen. The endpoint, desktop, or other applications will continue to be accessible, so there's a change in seamless window enhancement. There's also a feature now that enables the use of an allow list that specifies which virtual channels are allowed to be opened in an ICA session. There are also some improvements for scheduled reboots, allowing to decide whether or not to reboot machines that happen to be in maintenance mode at the time of the reboots, and some improvements to director and really not much else to report. With 2006, one really cool announcement was the fact that Citrix Remote PC now supports Linux, so that's pretty cool. At the beginning of this week, there was a significant disruption to Office 365 Exchange Online services in Europe. At the time when I was scripting this part of the episode, it was just stated as a network issue that had been successfully remediated. According to an article from The Verge, AWS reported this week on a denial-of-service attack that they dealt with back in February with a peak traffic volume of 2.3 terabytes per second making it the largest ever recorded. They stated their AWS shield feature, the security feature, protected the service from the attack. Having dealt successfully with this largest denial-of-service attack in history, that's quite the feather in the cap for AWS. And also earlier this week I saw some tweets from people suggesting there was a massive denial-of-service attack focusing on just the United States. And just as quickly as people were claiming an attack, people in the InfoSec community on Twitter were tweeting that it was not a denial of service attack, and the idea that it was was ludicrous based on the traffic being seen. Being in Ireland at the time, I woke up the next day and saw emails at my work from people saying there was a service issue and that there was a denial of service attack. So unfortunately, the misinformation traveled probably faster than the correction in this scenario. But what it turned out was the InfoSec community were absolutely right. This was not a denial-of-service attack. T-Mobile and the United States made a network change that went pear-shaped and had a pretty significant knock-on effect. It hasn't stopped people from claiming an attack, though. For his part, the CEO of Cloudflare said based on what they could see, it was not a denial-of-service attack and was indeed related to a bad change from T-Mobile, but... Who wants to get in the way of a good conspiracy? This week, Microsoft updated the README on the Project Reunion GitHub repository that may explain a little more on how they attend to wedge the gap between modern apps and Win32 apps. You may recall that I covered Project Reunion's announcement from Microsoft Build a few weeks ago. And during Build, they talked about things like WebView 2 and got into some of the reasons and needs for Project Reunion. But in the updated README, they also mentioned some existing tooling that kind of fits under the umbrella of what they're trying to achieve with Project Reunion. And that includes WinUI 3 for XAML, which they say helps you build fluent UX for all kinds of applications with the power of XAML. This component is part of the Project Reunion family of functionality, building on the identity plus packaging plus deployment transparent ideas that Project Reunion supports for your apps as well. They also talk about C++ WinRT, Rust WinRT, and C Sharp, WinRT, which will provide language native projections of Windows, Project Reunion, and your own custom types defined in metadata. You'll be able to consume APIs from the Windows Kit, produce them for use by other supported projections, and create your own new language projections. And one that I covered actually I think two years ago that was announced at Build or showed off at least at Build two years ago was MSIX Core, which lets you package your applications for distribution to Windows desktop machines via the store or your own delivery pipeline. MSIX Core lets you use the reused parts of the MSIX packaging story on older versions of Windows. So getting those MSIX packages working on Windows 10 and theoretically Windows 7 even though you probably shouldn't be focusing time there. But overall you can see that they're trying to maybe make the applications a little less system file dependent, maybe a little more OS agnostic and portable. Which is a good goal, I guess. Kind of a side note, and it actually could be a tip or trick for the week. Dave Brett shared a video of using Control Up together with Citrix session recording to protect against some bad end-user practices that could lead to security issues. So essentially, he creates what would be like a bad security practice an end-user completing, and shows that he's triggering the starting of the session recording to record what that person is doing and also popping up a message to warn them that they're being recorded and what they're doing is wrong ijil have announced in their upcoming os release chrome will come integrated this is pretty significant it has come with firefox integrated in the past but obviously chrome has a pretty large play in enterprise now so this could be a preference for many The release is expected in July. The very popular driver automation tool will have version 6.4.8 releasing on Friday the 26th of June. There's going to be Windows 10 2004 support, a faster user interface, HP SoftPack automation, new Lenovo catalog support, 7-zip support, Microsoft Surface model list updated, and Dell Flash 64W update. And speaking of awesome community tools, the BISF version 7.1912.3 has released. And from this version forward, the setup.exe is no more, it has been moved to an MSI format. This release also happens to contain 18 fixes, so if you're using the tool, be sure to update. The awesome Ron Oglesby was a guest on the EUC Digest podcast this week. Ron is a wealth of knowledge and a really cool guy in the community who's now working at VMware. I suggest you all check out that episode. And to wrap up the news segment, I'd just like to say a quick thank you to Parallels, who were a sponsor of E2EVC Digital. I was very fortunate to win their prize draw, which means I get a free ticket for the upcoming E2EVC event in Athens, Greece, coming up in November. All going well with this damn virus. I hope to see some of you there. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Guy Leach shared a really interesting site. You can give it the URL of a Windows Store app, and it will go download the .appx or appx package for you. So I'm going to be blogging pretty soon, I hope, about MSIX App Attach. And this sort of tooling could come in very useful for anyone who wants to try out MSIX App Attach as well. And I think it was last week on the podcast I mentioned Jeremy Moskowitz's blog post on App Attach. And he gets in a little bit into how you can quickly grab some MSIX packages to test out the App Attach part. So check out last week's Scripts, Tricks, and Tips for episode 128 for that. And also keep your eyes peeled because I'm going to definitely reference Jeremy's blog in my own blog post because I found it very useful for my own research. Marcel Calif shared a pretty interesting tidbit on Twitter this week that he saw from Gmail creator Paul Buckeit who said, when latency is 100 milliseconds or less, interactions feel instantaneous. Thus, 100 milliseconds is the standard FCC has set for good broadband. So for those in EUC who may not be completely network-focused, you might find that interesting because I did. I have to admit, the network side of things is really my Achilles heel, but I'm begrudgingly learning a little bit more of it each day that goes by. Another week and another tip from Andres Nick who shared a PowerShell script that can help you find inactive users in Active Directory. It's really handy to be able to see what users in your environment have not logged in for like a significant number of days. It may be able to help you to decide to take some corrective action around securing some of those accounts that may not be used anymore. Freak Berson posted a blog on automating the transformation of your MSIX packages to App Attach. Like I said, I've been doing some of my own App attach testing over the last few weeks and I plan to blog about it too. And one thing that I think is clear for anyone who's tried it, it's not very fleshed out yet and not really, I guess, user friendly. You do have to rely on PowerShell cmdlets for much of what you want to do so this blog post and these tips are really helpful if you want to try and get started with App Attach. So check that out. And finally, something I, again, I try not to do too often. I'd like to promote a blog post that I posted this week. And that is on three different evergreen application testing tools that I put quite a bit of time into uh, trying out and researching. They're Optimized App Readiness, and App Avail. With the upgrade cycle of Windows 10, it's impossible for internal IT teams to keep up with the app compact testing for new versions of Windows 10 most rely on the pilot testing alone which can cause very fragmented upgrades when issues are discovered so you deploy to maybe a couple departments first um, just weed out any issues that are there but the problem is if you do hit issues at different departments when only a subset of the users have got the upgrade it's going to fragment and slow down your overall upgrade process it could lead to a lot of time wasted and a lot of time spent on trying to fight these issues after the fact with a good evergreen platform you can get a repetitious automated app testing tool for your windows 10 upgrade to have that information to hand almost instantly when microsoft releases a new version of windows 10 because you can just download the ISO get your VMs updated for testing and kick off the testing of your applications and just let it do it all by itself and then just view the reports and the status afterwards and the three products are all pretty different to one another I suggest you just read the blog post to find out like some are using very different technologies um, and different methods so like looking at the different application components and knowing what would cause a problem and then flagging that or in one case there's a product that's actually doing screenshots of what a successful run is on say an earlier version of Windows 10 maybe Windows 10 1909 and then it reruns the automated test on 2004 and it can check the screenshots on 2004 from when it ran and screenshot the steps there to compare it to 1909 and see if there's a difference and if there's like an anomaly or an issue. So all very interesting products and definitely worth reading the blog post if you're not familiar with the te- with that type of platform. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.